Hello and welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This is a ministry of the UGA BCM on campus in Athens, Georgia. We're so excited that you've decided to tune in today. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So let me begin reading in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorns, uh, bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you tonight that as we look at this word just very quickly tonight, help us to see what it really means to put our foundation upon you. Lord, help us to see through the, two, or the three examples that you share here, the three illustrations that you share, what exactly you're trying to tell us. Help us not to miss the point tonight. And Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to celebrate our seniors. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate, uh, Lord, what you've accomplished this year and what you, we know you're going to con- accomplish moving forward. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless that time as well. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the thing. There's three different illustrations that Jesus uses here to, to, to really finalize and conclude uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, we talked about when the Sermon on the Mount starts, basically what happens here is that so many times people will take pieces of the Sermon on the Mount, they will preach it, and they will teach it in such a way in which they are trying to teach out what it means to, to, to uh, be an example in Christian living to others, right? And so you've got how you should treat other people and how you shouldn't worry and how you should handle your money and all these kind of things. But if you remember, we talked about that what Jesus was really doing is, is he's setting a standard for us because he starts this entire sermon out really setting a standard for perfection and and for righteousness and holiness. But the problem is, is that then he gives extreme example after example after example of where that the law says one thing, but we're held to even a greater standard. And in reality, what we find that Jesus is doing is pointing out that guess what? None of us are good enough, right? Because none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So none of us can inherit the kingdom of heaven because only that which is perfect can inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so we find ourselves now moving along and and we've talked about money and we've talked about worry and we've talked about um, even judging others and we've talked about prayer and all these different things and and, and we find ourselves really at this conclusion where Jesus is going to use three illustrations to really nail down to the heart of what it is that, that we're dealing with here. And that is ultimately that when it all comes down to everything else, when all the dust settles, what you have is a situation where none of us are perfect, but if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
But if our foundation is upon him, guess what? We got a chance, right? And, and, that, and that's a terrible way to say it, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not that we have a chance. It's that we what? We have the promise of God, right? That for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, we are found righteous in him. For those that put their faith and trust in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. For those that put their faith and trust in Christ, ultimately, one day, the kingdom of heaven will be ours. And we talked about, as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and you begin to interpret the Sermon on the Mount, even at the very beginning, we talked about how that you've got to sometimes look at it through those statements of like, not quite, it's not fully fulfilled, it's partially fulfilled now, but one day it will be completely fulfilled, right? So in other words, all these standards that he set out for us, we're not going to fully be able to, to reach those standards. But one day, one day, we will. Even when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? There is the kingdom of God that is coming. And it is a different standard. It is a different economy, if you want to look at it that way. Everything about it is different than what the world says. And everything about it is different than what the religious teachers of that day were telling people as well. And so we find ourselves now at this conclusion, and Jesus points out three illustrations. The first thing he talks about is the gate. This wide gate versus the narrow gate. The second thing he talks about is a tree and how that you know a tree by the fruit that it produces. And then the third thing that he talks about is the contrast between somebody that builds their house upon the rock versus their house upon the sand. Now, in a very literal sense, when you begin to read these, you understand that Jesus is saying is that, hey, if, that there's a lot of people that can go down a path in which there is a wide gate and there's a wide way. And he says that way leads to destruction. So very literally, we see him explaining that there is few who find this narrow way, this narrow gate. Does that make sense? And, and then he talks about the trees and, the, and their fruit. And he says there's going to be some that, listen, who profess to be Christians and who profess to, to say all these things that, that, that they even say in Jesus' name. He says there's even going to be some that ultimately say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And so here he's, he's pointing out for us that ultimately not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody that says that they're following God is following God. Another one of those sort of backhanded slaps at the Pharisees, right? But not just the Pharisees because he talks about some others in that as well with false prophets. And he says they're going to come in sheets clothing and they're really going to be ravenous wolves. And then he concludes and he talks about the fact that ultimately if the rain falls and the wind comes and the flood comes, that do you want your house built on sand or do you want your house built on the rock? And if your house is built on the rock, if it has a solid foundation, then ultimately it will survive. When you think about these three illustrations, I want you to think about three words tonight. The first word that I want you to think about tonight is the path. The path. Throw that up there. The path. I want you to realize tonight that while there are really only two options with the path that you can take in life, there is only one of them that doesn't lead to destruction. And the truth of the matter is, is that that is the one that is less traveled, right? Because the, the rest of the world, and, and when you think about these three words that I'm going to share with you tonight, what I want you to think about is this, is that how does this compare to what the world says? How does this compare to what the world says? Because the world says, hey, every, everybody ought to be able to go to heaven, if you even believe in heaven to begin with, right? Right, that's what the world says. The world says everybody's truth is their truth, right? You own your truth. You share your truth. You speak your truth. 
You live your truth, right? That's what the world says. But we know that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through him. And so when we see here in these first few verses, Jesus talking about in verse 13 and 14, that the narrow gate, see, the reality is, is the gate that is wide and is broad leads to destruction, But what the world pushes for, what the culture pushes for, is a wide and broad gate. Let everybody in. Everything goes. I mean, they have bumper stickers that that basically say as much, right, that you can put on the back of your car. Everybody just get along, right? We're going to coexist. Y'all seen those, right? If you got one of those, you should take it off so you're not a heretic, okay? Because if you're wearing, if you're putting one of those on the back of your car, that's heresy. Y'all hear me? I'm not being funny when I say that. I'm being serious. There is a broad gate where everybody can go through. We can all coexist, and it leads to destruction. There is a narrow gate. There is a narrow path that leads to life. So we see the path. Not only do we see the path, but we see the prophets. That's the second thing I want you to think about tonight, the prophets. Notice in verse 15 through verse 23, here's what he's talking about here. He is not necessarily talking about here just those who are Christian in name only, those, are, those who are nominal Christian. Though many times you'll hear that, like you'll hear that, maybe you'll hear an evangelistic sermon and someone says in verse 21, hey, remember Jesus says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And maybe you'll even be told, hey, that's why you better know that you know that you know that you know that you know. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Right? Like you may have that guy that comes in, he's an evangelist and he preaches, and then your youth pastor, like back when you were in middle school, Right, had like 700 kids in your youth ministry that were all scared that they weren't saved, and then he had to do all kinds of counseling with them and all that stuff. Or maybe you just had like 700 people. Uh, that's, uh, I understand what I'm saying. Maybe not 700. You're like, my church didn't have that many. Okay, maybe you had like 50 people in your student ministry, and the preacher preached that sermon, and then all of a sudden 20 of them got rebaptized. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Okay, that's, that's actually not, now that, look, there is a reality here that, that you are known by your fruit, and there is a reality here that if you're worried about your salvation, that there is a, a really good thing you can learn from this particular passage, and you can also go read First John, and you can start evaluating your fruit. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but what I am saying in the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus starts this off in verse 15, and he says, beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. So yeah, if, if you're worried about false prophets and false teachers and knowing them by their fruit, guess what? The reality is, is yes, we should take a self-inventory all the time about the fruit that we're producing. No questions asked about it. But the point that Jesus is making is, is that there are going to be people that show up in sheep's clothing, and they're really ravenous wolves. Now think about this in the context of the world and the culture that we live in today. The world says everybody coexists. The world says every gate should be broad. The world says everybody should be able to enter, right? The world says everybody should be able to get to heaven. The number one question that you get asked so many times is this. How could a good God send people to hell? How could a loving God send people to hell? Now there's a long answer to that and I understand that. But what I'm saying is this is that the world we live in today struggles with the fact that there is an absolute truth. 
The world that we live in today struggles with the fact that there is one way of salvation. The world we live in today struggles with the fact that there are two paths, but one is wide and leads to destruction, as one is narrow and leads to heaven. The world struggles with that. The world doesn't like that. The world doesn't want to hear it, and so that's why the world tells you otherwise. But I don't want you to miss the fact that, listen, we also live in a context in a world that we got to remember that there are those just like there were when Jesus was walking the face of the earth. Here he was dealing with some Pharisees who had wrong intentions, whose hearts were not right. And we live in a world today where people who claim to be Christians, here's what they do. Remember, this comes on the back end of him talking about the paths. So if you're going to think about the paths, you better think about the prophets too. The, the real ones and the false ones. The good teachers and the bad teachers. The ones who say that there is a narrow gate and then the ones who say that there is a wide gate and it's okay to go through the wide gate and the wide path. We live in a world today where, man, this is so applicable. Because what we realize around us is this. The world says exactly what Jesus was preaching against. The world says the gate is wide the path is wide. Everybody ought to be let in. And anything other than that, they call you names. That's what they do. They designate you as a hate group. They call you a bigot. They say you're not loving. That's what they do. Here's the scary part. A whole lot of Christians have fallen for it. Because there are people that are out there that are in sheep's clothing, but guess what they really are? Ravenous wolves. I can tell you right now, if someone says that something the Bible says about the way that we should live is just simply out of date, it was meant for that culture in that context. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. You hear me? And that doesn't matter what the topic and the issue is. That doesn't matter what the topic and the issue is. It is easier to take the approach that there's a wide gate and everybody can be happy and hunky-dory and we can all sing kumbaya and we can all put our arms around each other uh, next as we walk into heaven all together. Man, that sounds amazing and awesome. That's why almost every funeral you ever go to, whether the person was really a believer or not, the preacher gets up and preaches them into heaven. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying you should get up there and tell everybody in the crowd, hey, this person wasn't a believer. They just split hell wide open. That's terrible. It's not what I'm saying. Maybe you just shouldn't make a judgment call on that either way and you just preach the gospel. That's a better option. That's for all you guys going into ministry. So here's the deal. You and I live in a world where it seems like our foundations are shaken all the time. It seems like we're always asking questions about what's real, what's not real. Why is this so tough? Why are people saying these things? Why is the world doing this? Why is it that all of my everything around me doesn't seem to be stable? Well, you know why? Because we live in a world that has said the path is wide and it's for everybody. And we live in a world with a bunch of people who are dressed up in sheep's clothing who are really ravenous wolves. Again, if someone says 
It doesn't matter what social media their platform they're on. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter how cool of a speaker they are. It doesn't matter how many followers they have. If someone says, and it doesn't matter if it makes you feel good because you've tried to stay. Look. I'm trying not to be that guy that starts throwing stuff out there and chasing rabbits because I don't have time to do it. But you have to hear me on this. If the Bible speaks to an issue in today's culture and today's world, you right now think about any one of those issues in your mind so I don't have to say them out loud, okay? Are we good with that? Because Lord knows, if I did, somebody would get offended and it's the last one of the year and then y'all wouldn't come back next fall, Okay? If the Bible offends you when it deals with that issue, but it clearly, plainly states what the issue is, it's not very smart of you or me to then get on a social media platform or see some famous preacher somewhere, somebody else, speak in a way that makes us feel a little better about ourselves, to disagree with what the Word says, and then listen to them and let that impact how we live. That's really dumb. If the Bible says something's a sin, guess what it is? It's a sin. It's a sin. If the Bible says we should live a certain way, guess what we should do? Live a certain way. Right? If the Bible calls us and commands us to, to, to share our faith, guess what we should do? We should share our faith, right? I mean, the Bible is the final authority. And I want you to realize that the world says the path is wide, not narrow. And I want you to realize that the world says, hey, it's okay. You know what? It's actually easier if you just ignore that part of the Bible. Because then you won't have to confront any of those sins in your life. Hey, it's okay. Because you know what? That preacher was dressed really nice. And he had his hair done real cool. And he was wearing those really expensive tennis shoes. And he was wearing those. You, you get the point, right? Listen. The fact that we have something called progressive Christianity today blows my mind. It blows my mind. Because those things that they're teaching out there and sharing out there and people are literally making bank off of their social media platforms because they get a certain amount of follows and clicks and all that kind of stuff, just is stupid. Because most of what you're hearing in those settings goes contrary to what the Word of God says. And if it does, they are a ravenous wolf dressed like a sheep. It doesn't matter if it makes it easier because you don't have to confront the issue. The gospel is confrontational. And it will confront sin in your life and make you feel crappy about it. It's supposed to. So the path, the prophets, and the third thing tonight is this. The promise. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. But if you hear the words and you don't act like them or act on them, you'll be like the person that built their house on the sand. Your house will fall, and great will be its fall. The promise is this, is that if you take the narrow path, the path that is salvation, the path that is the gospel, and you believe and trust in the word of God, not the false prophets that are dressed like sheep, but really wolves, then you will have found yourself believing and trusting the word of God, God who cannot lie. And your house will have been built on a rock rather than sand. And when your house is built on a rock rather than sand, when you live in a world where there's always storms, there's always floods, there's always wind all around us, your house will stand. Why? Because the promise is not about the words of the promise. The promise is about the person who said it. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So when you go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount, let it humble you to the fact that we are not perfect. We can't keep the law the, the, to, the, to the extent that even the Pharisees kept it. And even what they were doing wasn't enough. Let it humble you to the fact that we all deal with stress and anxiety and we all allow those things that we focus upon to become idols in our life when we place them above Jesus and it begins to mess with our hearts and with our minds. Let it humble you to the fact that we live in a world in which we focus so much on the materialistic that we begin to worship mammon, money, material things instead of God. And then let it remind you that the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. Because we are imperfect, broken, sinful human beings. And the standard that God expects and that Jesus expects, none of us can handle or do on our own. We will fail time and time and time and time again. And the winds will come and the rains will fall and the floods will rise. But when my foundation is upon Jesus Christ, my house will stand. Because I have a hope and a promise from God who cannot lie. That he came for me, he died for me, he rose three days later, and if I put my faith and trust in him, and I live for him, and I follow him, and he is Lord of my life, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. See, here's the reality of it. This is where the next slide goes. That way I don't forget my quote. I wrote it, and then I didn't want to forget it, so I told him to put it on the slide. The path you take, the people you listen to, and the promises you trust matter because they define your foundation. They define your foundation. If you have learned nothing else this semester, you have learned Exactly what I said about we're not perfect, but Jesus is, so we need to trust him. If you learned nothing last semester, you learned that even those crazy stories in Genesis that sometimes we scratch our head about, they matter because they are foundational to our faith. And Jesus talked about them all the time, so we better trust him. Matthew 
My desire, my hope, my prayer is that for each and every one of you in this place, that you live a life grounded in the Word of God. They used to call Baptists people of the book. That's what they used to call them. Because they always talked about and focused upon God's Word. You know what we really need? Wouldn't it be awesome if people thought of us as people of the book? Because our foundation was on Jesus Christ, in whom we read the words that he shared with us. Wouldn't that be amazing? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you, no matter what the storms may bring. Bow your heads. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our Instagram page at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.